Hello and welcome everyone to Greetings from Brussels, episode 24 of our Global Tech Home podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Taylor, and today I'm joined by Anna from our EU team. Hi, Anna. Hello. And I'm also joined by Stephen Tulip from our UK team. Hi, Stephen. Hi, hi, Morgan. Hi, Anna. Hello. So we are halfway through the year and there have been quite a few policies and regulatory developments in European digital space. New laws tackling online content moderation, platform competition and ongoing debates about an artificial intelligence act will directly or indirectly impact the business of our members and app developers around the world. And for this podcast, we thought it would be interesting to take a step back and recap what has already been achieved in terms of, um, in terms of policy making, but also identify what developers should look out for during the second half of the year. For this, we'll sit down with our resident experts, Anna, Senior Policy Associate for Europe and the UK, and Stephen Tulip, our UK Membership and Engagement Manager. But before we dig into all of this, a bit of tech history and the top tech headlines from Europe. Fifty years ago, on July 10, 1962, the world's first international communication satellite, Telstar 1, was launched into orbit. Telstar was a collaboration between the US, Britain and France. It introduced the world to transatlantic video feeds and led us into a new era of communication. Although operational for only a few months, Telstar 1 facilitated over 400 telephones, telegraphs and television transmissions. It operated until November 1962, when its onboard electronics failed due to the effects of radiation. Six ground stations were built to communicate with Telstar, one each in the US, France, the, um, the UK, Canada, West Germany and Italy. Almost two weeks after the launch on July 23 at 9pm Eastern Central European time, sorry, Telstar 1 relayed the first publicly available live transatlantic television signal. The broadcast was shown in Europe by Eurovision and North America on multiple networks. Tesla 1 and 2, though no longer functional, still orbit the Earth. Subsequent Telstar satellites were advanced um, commercial geochronicus spacecrafts that share only their name with Telstar. More recently, Telstar 18V was launched on 10th of December, September 2018 on a space X-Falcon 9 rocket. And that's all for Tech History Today. And now it's time for Brussels Bytes. Anna, what are the latest top tech headlines from inside the European bubble? Brussels bubble and in Europe in general. In its plenary session, the European Parliament adopted two major pieces of legislation regulating the digital sector, the Digital Services Act, DSA, and the Digital Markets Act, DMA. The European Commission first proposed these files in December 2020, and the DSA aims to make platforms more accountable in their role of connecting consumers with goods and services, sets transparency rules for how platforms moderate online content, and also clarifies procedures for the removal of illegal content. The DMA, meanwhile, is a new EU law that aims to limit the market power of large online platforms. The European Commission will be able to designate large online platforms as gatekeepers and then subject them to obligations and prescribe things they can and cannot do. 
the two laws still need to be formally adopted by the Council of the EU in September. Both acts will enter into force after their publication in the official journal and will be applicable in all EU member states six months after that. App developers will likely feel the effects of these new laws by mid-2023. If you want more details about this, stay on for our policy section, but you'll also find more information in the show notes of this episode. Over in the UK, the Competition and Markets Authority, or the CMA, has launched an investigation into Microsoft's acquisition of gaming company Activision Blizzard, who make the Call of Duty game series. A phase one decision is expected by the start of September. This follows Microsoft's recent purchase of several other small game makers and is set to make the company the third largest gaming company in the world by revenue, surpassed only by the Japanese company Sony and the Chinese firm Tencent, who are the world's largest gaming company. The $68.7 billion Microsoft deal is already the subject of scrutiny from the US Federal Trade Commission, which is focusing on the implications of the move for the US labor market. According to a deal with EU antitrust regulators, Amazon will have to share more data with its rivals and offer buyers a wider choice of products. Investigators suspected that Amazon, with its dual role as both a marketplace and a retailer on its own platform, was breaking EU law by using market-sensitive information to favor its own retail business artificially at the expense of rivals. The deal means that Amazon will avoid formal charges of breaking EU law and the heavy fines of up to 10% global revenues that come with that. The EU, on the other hand, will avoid a lengthy legal battle in courts and ensure compliance before tougher digital rules come into force next year. At the same time, Germany's competition authority, the Bundeskartellamt, also announced that Amazon will have to abide by tougher rules than smaller rivals under Germany's new competition law. On the same day, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority also opened an investigation into Amazon. Similar to the EU case, the UK authorities have concerns about Amazon being both a retailer and a marketplace. The CMA's probe will focus on third-party sellers' data, the criteria for being featured in the buy box, and how to access Amazon's loyalty program Prime. Thousands of leaked files have exposed how Uber courted top politicians to help further its goals and how far it went to avoid legal consequences between 2013 and 2017. The files reveal how a 90 million a year lobbying and public relations effort recruited friendly politicians to help in its campaign to disrupt Europe's taxi industry. Uh, the files were leaked to The Guardian in the UK and subsequently shared with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists and several other media organisations. The Uber files contain more than 124,000 records, including 83,000 emails and 1,000 other files relating, also revealing internal conversations. In particular, they detail the extensive help Uber got from leaders such as Emmanuel Macron and ex-EU Digital Commissioner Neely Crows, or Crowers. Have I got that right, Morgan? Yeah, it's Cruz. <laughs> Cruz. Oh, I didn't get either right. Neely Cruz. And they show how Miss Cruz was in talks to join Uber before the term as commissioner ended and then secretly lobbied for the firm in a potential breach of EU ethics rules. The files also indicate that Uber's former CEO personally ordered the use of a kill switch to prevent police from accessing computers in potential raids. The commission has now asked a newly formed task force to provide more information and there's more on this to follow. And that's all for Brussels Bites.
As signaled by the recent start of the Czech presidency of the European Council in July, we are already halfway through 2022. And since we're at this halfway point, we thought it would be good time to reflect on the first six months, as well as to look forward to the rest of the year in terms of tech policy in the EU and the UK. We've been working on a lot of different policy issues, and there's much more to come after the summer. So let's dive right in. For our discussion, we're joined by Anna, our fellow co-host and policy expert, as well as Stephen for a UK perspective. So Anna, let's start with you. Perhaps can we start by going over some of the milestones we've reached so far in 2022? Yeah, most definitely. Um, We've had this podcast, I think, for about two years now. And for that entire time, the commission has made it very clear that digitalization and establishing the digital single market are a priority for them. And now it seems like it's crunch time because elections are coming up and the European um, Parliament is going to be busy campaigning and the European Commission's mandate also expires in the spring of 2024. And so in the past year or two, they've proposed extensive legislative packages that cover a variety of issues um, concerning the digital economy. And that includes platform regulation, um, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, data governance, and also eco-design, which we'll get to later. But yeah, some of the ones where we've had the biggest developments this year are first up in data governance. We had the Data Governance Act was adopted by the Council of the European Union in May, and it was also published in the official journal. So that means it will enter into force in 2023. And with this act, what the Commission wants to do is establish a framework to facilitate the reuse of certain protected public sector data and foster what they call data altruism across the EU. That means people could, da- like, basically it's data donations, so voluntarily making that available. And and we think that, you know, the Data Governance Act is, is pretty good and it will accelerate Europe's digitalization. Um, especially in the industry, and also help smaller businesses realize the benefits of the data economy because it will facilitate their ability to access data. Um, And the other interesting thing about the Data Governance Act is that the council also wants to define a new business model for data intermediation services um, as trusted environments for organizations or individuals to share their data. And this connects to this data altruism concept. And so we'll have to monitor how that plays out in practice, but it's an interesting concept that we haven't necessarily seen before. Um, Right, second up, this was a huge deal for us, is platform regulation. Um, We've covered this plenty on this podcast, um, many episodes on the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act. Both are now well on their way to becoming law Um, And as we mentioned in the news section, the commission proposed these laws in December 2020, and they moved them very quickly through the process. EU laws can take years, and this only took 18 months or so. Um, And so both of these files were recently adopted by the European Parliament after they reached political agreements with the Council in March and April. And... Just as a quick reminder, the DMA imposes ex-ante obligations on the largest technology corporations, so-called gatekeepers, in the internet economy, and the DSA is a horizontal legislation for the entire digital ecosystem, and it introduces rules 
um, regarding transparency and responsibility proportionally to the size and impact of a company. Um, so now that these rules have been adopted, what we are watching for is in the implementation. And that will remain very complex because nothing like this has ever been done before. Um, and although we were involved in this process every step of the way, we've really worked very hard for this um, through our app makers tour and various filings and letters. We submitted amendments. We, you know, did all these podcasts and we covered the DMA in our most recent AppCon. We saw some wins, right? So they introduced some cybersecurity caveats for DMA obligations. They limited choice screens only to browsers. And we got some exceptions for SMEs in the DSA. Um, while we did all of this, we still continue to advocate a lot on these files to ensure they don't affect our members negatively. Um, and a big part of that is in the implementation and also in um, stakeholder dialogues. And we'll continue to work to ensure that both laws you know, allow this stakeholder participation. Um, moving on to the last one I'll talk about because that'll already be a lot, um, is cybersecurity, which is important for all of our members because they operate in the cyberspace. Um, and here we have the net Network Information Security 2.0 Directive. This is a revision of the original Network Information Security Directive, also called NIS. Um, and the Council and the European Parliament agreed on this revised version in May and adapted the previous NIS directive to current needs. And it introduces minimum uh, cybersecurity requirements for businesses and organizations um, with a critical role in e economic activities or society's functioning. And same for this one. We'll have to see how that's going to be implemented in comparison to the previous NIS directive. And I'll stop here. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, that's actually quite a lot. Uh, there's been a lot happening, and all of it, it seems quite important for our members. And but now looking to the future, um, what else are we working on? Um, I do have some ideas, <laughs> but what should our <laughs> members should be paying attention to? Because I think that's the that's the most important part. Like so many laws are affecting the business. So what's in the pipeline? For sure, yeah. And as we've come to expect in the past couple of years, they, the EU takes a long break over the summer, but then there's a lot happening right after. Um, so in addition to the files that I just talked about that will be fully finalized, there's other proposals that are currently going through the process that are also going to be important to our members. Um, so first up, there's more on the data strategy. Um, next in that is the Data Act, which the Commission proposed in February 2022, and it was most recently debated by the Council last month. And so and that the Data Act is not the same as the Data Governance No, Act. yes, to be clear, those are two different files. So yeah. the Data Governance Act establishes a framework for data sharing and the data govern uh, and the data act see i'm even slipping up the data act <laughs> aims to solve the lack of data availability and unfair commercial practices by implementing a series of obligations and common standards for reusing data within and between sectors so the data governance act establishes the framework and the data act basically um sets up the rules for how to share so Right. There's still, yeah, there's still a lot to be worked out here, though, such as questions about how it will interact with other laws like the GDPR, for example, because anything involving data sharing has angles of data privacy and the GDPR that we have all come to 
love is a complicated piece of legislation. So we'll see how that those two will interact. Um, and then also the new Digital Markets Act and its implications for international data transfers, because the Digital Markets Act also has some elements that touch on data sharing. And so we've um, most recently provided comments to the commission on this file in May, and we cautioned against developing overly rigorous and prescriptive regulations, such as, for example, mandatory data sharing or transparency obligations in business-to-business settings. Um, And we also encouraged the commission to consider how to ensure that trade secrets and intellectual property are always protected and to explore which information security requirements would apply to sharing sensitive information. And then another, this is not directly related, but is very important, and we've also covered it plenty on this podcast, is the Privacy Shield situation. Um, It remains unsolved at this moment in time. Um, There's been some progress in the first half of 2022 with US and EU regulators meeting at the Transatlantic uh, Trade Council, TTC, I think. What's that? Yes, it is. Trade, uh, Technology and Trade Council. There we go. Not transatlantic. So it should be <laughs> TTTC, Transatlantic Trade and Technology Council, really. <laughs> Anyhow, that's where they met and, you know, have discussed the Privacy Shield various times. Um, so there's been some progress in renegotiating a data sharing agreement, but there's no official word on when we can expect a new framework to actually enter into force. And then... Um, You mentioned this earlier, there's a new proposal concerning artificial intelligence called the AI Act. Um, I will say that compared to other proposals that we've talked about, this one has been on the slower side. For one, because regulating AI is a sensitive topic, but also because of the high level of technicality of the file and because AI is as a technology at a very early stage. So that makes it hard to determine the potential impact of this regulation in the future. Um, And so although the draft was proposed in April 2021, it's still being discussed by the co-legislators. So the Czech presidency has now made it one of its priorities and hopes to get it to a general approach by the end of the year. Um, And we'll see if that happens. And for what it's worth, we believe that the risk-based approach that they're taking to regulate AI can be useful, but we don't necessarily agree that outright banning some technologies is the way to go. Um, and we'll you know, continue to watch how MEPs incorporate the reportedly thousands of amendments that they've received on the AI Act and how the committee votes play out after the summer break. Um, and another thing to keep in mind is that for high-risk AI systems, the framework seems quite clear, but there seems to be quite a lot of gray area for lower-risk AI systems or systems that aren't easily determined high or low risk. And then the last one I will talk about is the cybersecurity angle. Um, There is, in addition to the NIS directive that they have just adopted, also the new Cyber Resilience Act. that will set minimum cybersecurity standards for connected devices, which makes it particularly relevant for our members who manufacture IoT devices. Um, The commission's public consultation on this file just closed in May, um, and the parliament and council are expected to discuss it later this year. So all our listeners can expect more on this to come. 
So that's super interesting. I mean, listening to all the initiatives that have happened, that are coming up. Luckily, we have you <laughs> with us. But it's 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 a lot. It's a lot for app developers to really understand what's going on and to prepare. And especially, um, I think there are even more developments where, well, of course, today, digital is everywhere. And software is... I believe even being regulated in places where we don't expect it, right? I think there's some eco-design regulation as well. Yeah, so there's, like you said, a lot to keep track of. And then now things that might affect our members pop up in places where you might not expect it, like the eco-design regulation. So the commission is doing various initiatives that concern sustainability and responsible design of technologies. And this is part of its effort um, to achieve a digital and green transition. And so revising the eco-design directive contains language that would enable rollbacks of software upgrades. And that would be bad for our members who then would have to make their apps available for a larger number of operating systems because they have to develop and keep up to date all these different versions of their apps, right? And so that's really hard to do. But then it's also bad for security and privacy of users because OS upgrades typically patch vulnerabilities. So if you keep using a very old operating system, then your device is going to be less secure than a device that has upgraded to a newer version of the operating system. So when it comes to sustainability, I think most people wouldn't necessarily expect software to be included in that. But the commission has found a way to do that. Um, And we expect to work on this issue a lot more as the institutions return from the summer break. Okay, and so all of these are proposals that have been already launched, adopted, or are still being discussed by the co-legislators. But are we expecting any new ones, things that we haven't talked about or um, before the end of the mandate? Yeah, there's um, a very (laughs) important one. one. Yeah, another one. (laughs) There's a very important one that um, is one of our favorite topics here at the App Association, um, and that is standard essential patents. Um, Earlier this year, the European Commission held a public consultation and a call for evidence on a new framework for standard essential patents. And based on the responses to those two um, public consultations that they held, they're going to evaluate and then draft a proposal that will then go through the legislative process. So we haven't seen any proposal yet on this. Um, The commission aims to do this by the end of the year, I believe. Um, And in the meantime, while they're drafting this proposal, we will continue our ongoing advocacy on SEPs, you know, through events and member and policymaker education to ensure that small businesses benefit from this legislation and are part of the conversation every step of the way. And I think that is finally it for things to watch out for. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Um, That will definitely keep us busy, but maybe turning to the UK. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, maybe turning to the UK. Are there any similar initiatives um, going on? We might not go through the entire initiatives, but anything in a nutshell we should Watch out for Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, Annie, it sounds like you're going to be kept pretty busy with all of that going on. <laughs> <laughs> so over in the UK, the UK Intellectual Property Office, or IPO, has completed a call for views on standard essential patents, and that finished in March. 
and they've been and they've been um, looking at the responses they got, and by all accounts, they got a lot of responses uh, to that, which is really good. The IPO will likely release a legis uh, legislative proposal, indeed, uh, fairly soon. Uh, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport is also producing a voluntary code of practice concerning app security and privacy interventions, um, and that we talked about that in our um, last episode. It's somewhat of a placeholder for the new pro competition regime that the Competition and Markets Authority has proposed and consulted on last year. The new pro-competition regime is on hold until at least the next legislative session, so we will continue to monitor any progress on that front. And the App Association has been very active in participating in call for views from various UK government departments. We've contributed on topics including AI, uh, intellectual property, physical digital infrastructure, and app marketplaces. And it's worth saying that any predictions about the future of UK politics are all up in the air at the minute because it's all chaos over here at the minute. So, yeah, take a, take anything that we say is about to happen with a pinch of salt. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Stephen. It's true, there's quite a lot of crossover in the end between the UK and, and Europe because I think the issues that we're facing globally, like globally on the digital space um, are more or less the same. So thank you. That's quite an overview um, with more to come in the second half of the year. So we'll do our best to keep our listeners informed on all of these issues. And now it's time for Rendered Identifiers. I'll go first this time. So my Rendered Identifier this week, we held, uh, we, um, I wouldn't say our first app makers coffee, but the first in a long time. We had those yeah, during the, the COVID period and we decided it was a good time to relaunch it. So I was really happy that we uh, we had our summer edition of our, our makers coffee where we deep dive into EU platform regulations. And um, so those coffees are kind of used to select one policy area among the many Anna highlighted and then just <laughs> deep dive and allow our members to ask all the questions. So we'll post all the next ones um, online on our website. So I just want to say I enjoyed it. It was it, it was good. So um, yeah, that's mine. Um, Anna, what's yours? Well, mine is way less serious than that. <laughs> so I did a bit but of promotion. Awesome. <laughs> no, no, that's that's awesome. I, I love the member coffees and getting to talk to members. It's always fun. Um, but mine, I think um, I have done this every single year, so I might as well stick with this. Um, the Bachelorette is back. You all know I love it. <laughs> um, this is the first year ever. They're having two Bachelorettes for the whole season. So there will be two women which 30 men will compete for. And Ooh. you all know I love to watch it. And that is my random identifier and will be till the end of time. <laughs> I like those recurring uh, random identifiers. It allows <laughs> us to keep track of progress and like what's, <laughs> innovations and, and so right? on. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very innovative. This year they have two, they have two yeah. bachelorettes. So they're making progress over there. It's a big step. <laughs> So do um Anna sorry Anna do you guys get um Love Island over yes. in the US yes yes I, I also like to watch Love Island but it's like a bigger commitment because there's so many episodes <laughs> <laughs> like because it's on every single day um and the Bachelorette is on only once a week so I can you know that feels more manageable to me <laughs> yeah it, it's like, it's like quality over quantity right. <laughs> I'm not going to say Love Island is low quality, though, because it's excellent TV. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and you, Stephen, what do you have for us? 
Well, mine's also kind of adjacent to an ACT event as well. So we had our first UK face-to-face event um, through the week. And it was held... Oh, wow, look at you guys having professional random identifiers. I know. I know. It's very rare. I know. It's very rare. It is. <laughs> I know. It's, um, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a turn in a minute, so don't worry. We, uh, <laughs> so we, we, we had our first uh, face-to-face meeting in the UK, and it went really well. It was a round table where we talked about standard essential patents and friend issues. Really interesting event. Really glad that people came along and, and seemed to enjoy it. But the thing that was really cool was the venue which was um, this London Members Club, which I've often walked past and never been into one of those sorts of places, called the Athenian. And it's um, basically a place where people who are very well-regarded academic scholars and members of the clergy can be, can be members. And when you go in there, there's this amazing old library. There's a chair that Charles Darwin sat in when he was working out the, um, when he was sat in that library, working out how the theories of evolution worked. And then there's a book that shows the 50-odd Nobel Prize winners that have been members of that club. And it had, you know, people like Winston Churchill, T.S. Eliot, um, the guy who discovered how to synthesize vitamin C, all these amazing things. So, yeah, it was a, it was an incredible, um, it was a really good, fun event, but the venue was incredible. And it's the sort of place that um, you don't normally get to, to have a look inside. So That's I'm going to have to now... Yeah, so we're going to have to become respected academics, Morgan, I think. Yeah. So. <laughs> that, that, that can be a KPI, that's fine. We can, we can, we can, we can put this. But uh, yeah, no, for sure. I think the, the venue was an event itself. So um, it's true. But it was a great event. And uh, thank you to the team for organizing that. And uh, well, with that, we've reached the end of our, of our podcast, Greetings from Brussels, episode 24. Um, if you're interested in learning more, head over to our website at actonline.org slash techswamp where you'll find our show notes. And we also have transcripts available. You can find them at the top of our show notes as well as on podscribe.com. Just search TechSwamp. And because of course you want to subscribe, you can do it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher and get the latest episodes first. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you all for listening and bye for now.